Try to grab you a seat in the center. You'll save my neck from swiveling around and, and looking everywhere today. As people filter in, they can, they can sit along the edges. Um, nobody, nobody come up here in the first two rows. Splash zone, that's what I call it, because I will spit on you if you're in the first two rows. Just how I roll. My, yeah, my wife makes fun of me because when I get home every Sunday, I have to clean off my iPad screen because it's just riddled with that. I know that's really, just really, uh, y'all are really like, wow, that's, that's good. That's so good. Leave here today with anything. Know that I spit when I talk. That's it. Um, good morning. Uh, my name's Chris. If, if I don't know you guys, I'd love to meet you after the service. I'm, I'm one of the pastors at Legacy Church, but the Legacy kind of, kind of global family as we, uh, or, or I guess say local global, as we've got a campus over in our west, the west uh, side of town. Um, we are uh, just about 16 months old, uh, meeting in the evenings at 5 p.m. over at Providence Church. Um, and it's, it's really unique. A lot of you have asked me that question, like, what's it like meeting in, a, in, in someone else's church? And it's, it's, it's odd, but at the same time, it's a blessing, right? Because this church is not a it's not the typical relationship, right? Typically, you hear of church plants that move into spaces of churches that are like dying, right? They're, they're, they're maybe on their way out. They're, they're losing members, but this is a growing church. But Providence, help us pray for Providence. They, they, they approached us and offered us the children's ministry space at no cost to us. So as a, as a young church plant, that's pretty amazing. And so they're allowing us to use their children's space, and it's, it's such a sweet, sweet blessing. And so uh, pray for that church and thank, thank God for them for us because they're, they're making it easy on us planting. So um, it's good to see you, though. We, we, uh, we, we were kind of detached a little bit from the song we just sang. We just sang Silent Night, right? So we've got, we've got some space built in there. So if I could transport you back to about five, seven minutes ago, um, remembering those words as we sang, I, I actually considered me singing it for you and seeing how long it would take for you to sing with me. But I decided to save you that. Those of you that have been at Legacy for four years know that I've sung a couple times up here, and it's pretty embarrassing, and I'm not good at it. So I won't do that today. But, but I love that song, right? Who in here loves Silent Night? If you don't raise your hand, you're in so much trouble, right? Silent Night, right? Silent Night is like, it's like, it's like the Christmas carol. Would you agree? Yes or no? Remember, this is interactive. Remember? Yes or no? Yes. Okay. It's like the Christmas carol, right? So... So we're, we're, the whole idea is, is that we're celebrating this baby, right? We're celebrating this six-pound, eight-ounce baby, right? And there's only one song that stands out, and that's Silent Night, right? If you're going to sing a song, and that's the one that everybody knows, everybody goes to, everybody sings. So just a little historical context for you. This year on Christmas Eve, you can celebrate the fact that Silent Night is 200 years old. This is the 200th anniversary of Silent Night. It's pretty awesome, isn't it? Yeah, Luke set me up for success with that. That's, that's easy, right? So, so just, just another thing is Bean Crosby, right? He, is the, he has the third best-selling version of this song of all time, Bean Crosby, right? Also, I think, if I'm not mistaken, he's the top 10 most downloaded as well, is that version. So the song has a, it has a calmness about it, right? These guys actually sang it a little bit faster than we're used to. Right, it usually is. A, is it's just a calm, peaceful song. There's this, there's this, there's this sense of of just peace, right? If we were, if we weren't meeting probably in a school, you would all be putting out candles right now, right? We'd all be handing over the plate and we'd be leaving, not not staying. But y'all'd all be holding candles with them burning, and we all stand there. Anybody been to a church like that, right? Yeah, I attended one one time where it was snowing inside while we were singing, holding the things. It was crazy. They had a foam machine in the ceiling and it was blowing foam. It was nuts. Anyway, so 
the song, this calmness and this peace, and at the center, this six-pound, eight-ounce baby. So we think about Silent Night, right? This meek, and look how meek and gentle it is. Silent Night, Holy Night, all is calm, all is bright. It, it's, it's kind of sweet, maybe even dainty, right? Romantic. But for me, as I, as I processed this, and I got, I, got, I got landed with Silent Night, it wasn't that easy because... For me, the, the birth, right, this song that's singing about the birth of our Savior, of Jesus, right, it isn't, it isn't that dainty. This is literally the most military aggressive movement by our God, right? Think about that. It's a violent, divine invasion into the brokenness of humanity, a divine invasion, this baby coming. Death of death assured in that night, in that manger. All that shackles us, all that binds us, all that holds us captive, all that oppresses, all that destroys. In Bethlehem that night, the first shot was fired that is, that is, that is making and raging war against evil and darkness. It's beautiful, isn't it? Sombering. So silent night, all is calm, all is bright. Yes, but, but also the destruction of demons. Death of death. Right? I think where we struggle, one of the struggles I have with the, with the manger is, as I was thinking and processing this, is, is that we see, this, we see this manger, and we, and we easily can forget, or we see, we see the cross, and we can easily forget about the manger, right? We, can easily, we see the cross of Jesus, and we, and we can forget about the manger because the, the, my, man, my struggle is, as I begin to process and think through, is, is I like to separate those two, right? I don't really see them as one. I don't see the manger and the cross as one. I kind of see a separation of the two, and we can't do that. We can't separate the manger and the cross. You can't have one without the other. You have to have them both. And that's why I'm saying this, this silent night, this holy night, all is calm, all is bright. That, that's why I'm saying this is a divine invasion, right? This divine invasion that was serial in its cosmic determination to destroy everything from hell. That's cool, isn't it? Yeah. So the reason I think this is hard for us in this season and why we tend to be more all is calm, all is bright, and happy birthday, Jesus. If you sing that song, by the way, it's okay, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Happy birthday, Jesus. I'm so glad it's Christmas. No? Oh, man. Okay, y'all got to look that up. So we'll do that later. But, 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 the, but the reason, though, that, that we struggle with this and we, and we have that mentality and we sit in it is because we forget who he is. Right? We forget who is lying in the manger. Let me, let me tell you who's lying in the manger. Colossians 1.15. It'll be on the screen. This is who's lying in the manger. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, 
the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, for in him and the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That's who's lying in the manger. That's who you're singing Silent Night, Holy Night about. Does it change it for you a little bit? It changes it for me. Happy birthday, Jesus, doesn't work. And it doesn't work because Colossians 1.15 says he already was. You see, he's already there. He's co-eternal with the Father. He always has been. So the six-pound, eight-ounce baby Jesus has always been there. I struggle to wrap my brain around that a little bit. How does that work? This is how it works. Is Jesus is both God and man 200%. I stole that from a rap song. Right? Jesus, both God and man, 200%. The hypostatic union. That's what, that, that's what that means. So he is the active agent in everything that exists. The active agent. He, he created it. He spoke it into being. According to Hebrews, he holds it all together by the words of his mouth. Think about that. That's who's in the manger. King Jesus. Philippians 2 says he put on flesh. He put on flesh, he became creation, lowered himself, right, sacrificed himself, and ransomed us from sin and death. That's who's in the manger. It's amazing. We have to set the stage this morning or Christmas makes no sense at all. Right, we have to set that stage or Christmas makes no sense at all. So turn to, turn to Matthew 2. We're going to start in verse 1. So we... Uh, our, our, our location over there, we use the CBR journal. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. It's a reading plan that we use that we go through Old Testament every three years, New Testament every year. Use the Acts kind of, kind of devotional method. Some of you are learning about that in Luke's spiritual discipline class. And so we use that. And so right now we're in Zechariah fixing to hit Malachi. So there's this blank sheet of paper, right, that you're fixing to turn. Where there's, this, this is 400 years right here, <laughs> all right? This is 400 years of emptiness and silence going on right here in this little bitty will be page, right? So there's nothing, then there's something, right? And so that's where we're at. We enter Matthew 2, okay? Let's read it together. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born of the Jews, king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Interesting enough, I find this interesting that he went, he came into this world and left this world with the same title. King of the Jews, right? The, the wise men called him King of the Jews, and they hung a sign on him that said King of the Jews. For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them, where is the Christ was to be born? Where, was, where the Christ was to be born? They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet. Micah 5 says, And you, both Bethlehem and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest 
over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. So I read this story about the wise men, and I think to myself, like, what, 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 what sets us apart? Like, why the wise men? Right? Why, why random, why three random dudes from the east? Like, what, what's the deal there? Right? What's going on? Why? As I began to, to, to look and read and, and just process the story of the wise men, I think, unlike the wise men, I find myself, and, and, and I think you do as well, a little bit of sleep at the wheel. You know what I mean? Like, these guys had direction. They had focus. They had, they had vision. Right? They weren't asleep at the wheel. And here's what I mean. When you look at, we look at verse, um, go back to verse 2. When you look at verse 2, it says, they say, where is he who? Right? They, where is he? They show up and they say, where is he? They know who they're looking for. Who has been born king of the Jews. For we saw his star when it rose. So there's a little bit of education here. They know, they, they realize, they recognize this is his star. This is the king of the Jews' star. And have come to worship him. Three random men from the east know him, know his star. They're looking for him so they can worship him. Interesting. Let me ask you a question. Do you remember falling in love? Think back. Dr. Clint got up here last week and talked about falling in love with his bride. Do you remember that? Do you, remember, do you ever remember falling in love? Not only did you want to get to know that person, right? Not only did you want to get to know them, you paid attention, right? You paid attention. Not just about their looks, their personality, but, but how they smelled, right? Shampoo. What's that shampoo? Yes, I like that shampoo. Yeah. Patterns. Eating habits, you know? Do you remember that? My wife, when I met her, I, I learned her work schedule, right? I knew when she went in. I knew when she got off, right? I knew how long it took me to drive from my house to her place of employment. I knew how long it took her to get from her house to my house. I, I knew her. Not literally in the biblical sense. I, I knew her, right? Just I knew her. I paid attention. This was, this was beyond just knowing her, right? I, I, I knew her. They're like, that dude's a stalker. <laughs> Listen, before Facebook, that's what you had to do, okay? You, you, had to, you had to follow people around town to get to know somebody, you know what I mean? Like, you couldn't, you couldn't just creep on their Instagram. You had to actually, like, go talk to them, right? Spent a lot of money and time in Chili's in the, in the uh, D, uh, Dallas Love Airport waiting on my wife to get off work, right, just so I could talk to her, right, because she didn't have a cell phone. Isn't that crazy? So the difference here, the difference between Herod's chiefs, when we're reading this in these, in these magi, right, because enter the, the Herod's chief priest, and he calls them together. So it says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him, and he assembled all these chiefs, and he's asking them, where is this baby, or where is this king supposed to be? Right? Where is this, where's this supposed to take place? And there's a difference. We see a slight difference here. When they respond, they just kind of respond with what they, what they knew. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, right, for it is written by this prophet, 
But they're not, they don't have the same, to me, I don't see the same angst, right? I don't see the same, where is he? You see what I'm saying? Like the difference there? They're just responding to Herod, his, his question. There's a difference there of, of knowledge and attention. Their knowledge over the Magi is paying attention. You see what I'm saying? They paid attention to the, to the text. There was movement there. This year at Christmas, your struggle and your fight, regardless of what you think right now, moms and dads, it's what, a week away? A couple, couple little, little bit longer than that? won't be to make sure all the presents get wrapped, right? It won't be to make sure mom-in-laws, right, mother-in-laws don't come in the same house and end up in the same room alone together, right? Anybody got mom-in-laws? You can't, they're like, no, they can't be in the kitchen together. Don't let them in there by themselves. You know what I'm talking about, right? That won't be the struggle. The checklist won't be the struggle. The to-dos won't be the struggle. Leaving town, packing, those things won't be the struggle. The struggle won't even be cleaning up the messes that that manipulative little elf leaves around your house, right? It'll be the struggle. By the way, though, that elf thing, sorry, I'm going to cap on that elf thing. I don't get that. What are y'all doing, man? Y'all run around making messes for yourself that you got to clean up later. That's crazy. Some of y'all need to get your house in order. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's just, that's just nuts to me. I got a buddy on Facebook. He has belt on the shelf. You know what I'm talking about? Belt on the shelf. That's his, that's his elf on the shelf for his kids is belt on the shelf. Man. So the struggle will be to pay attention to the manger. Not the, not the nativity scene manger, the manger. That's going to be the struggle. The, the struggle would be is where the, where the tension is and drawing my, drawing my affections and my cons, consuming worship to the manger, to the incarnation in such a way that our hearts will be consumed with the reality of what we're celebrating, the reality of what we're celebrating, paying attention, falling in love, then giving Jesus our best. That's what the story of the wise men's going on there is, is, is paying attention, listening, pursuing, falling in love, and then, and then showing up with these gifts, giving him our best. This morning, we're, we're gathered here, right? We're, we're here collectively as a people, and, 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 and I believe wholeheartedly, as I, as I drove here this morning, I sh- I'm showing up expecting something supernatural to happen, something supernatural to happen. This, this is a supernatural meeting. Believe it or not, this is sacred. I know it's hard plastic seats and gum underneath them, right? I picked up a smashed brownie in the carpet back there. I totally get it, right? But this is a sacred meeting. And I would argue that when you gather in your homes, the same thing happens. You may not think that, but that, that's what's happening. It's a sacred meeting there. When, you, when you're gathered around your family, when you're, when you're in your family worship time, or you're around a table in your meal, there's something sacred happening in that moment. God is active. This morning, right now, God is active. He is shaping you in that chair right now. It might be to flatten your butt out, but he is shaping you, right? Right now. He's active. He's alive. He's shaping you. I show up here desiring to feel the weight of eternity on my shoulders. Desiring to feel that. We all should. This is where we get charged up for battle. 
Right? This is where we come, collective saints, and we get charged up and prayed up and, and read up and sang up to go out and deliver the good news to the world. Right? This is our encampment circle where stories are told to embolden us to pursue the king of eternity, to fight, to wage, to wage war on sin. Here, Silent Night is a battle cry. It's a battle cry. We're fighting against the nativity scene Jesus. That's what the fight is. That Jesus is the reason for the season, right? That's the fight, that knowledge, that nativity scene knowledge, where you see the nativity scene in your home, and that's the knowledge. That's the extent of the knowledge you have. We are moved by the manger scene. We're moved by it. We'll be moved to read Luke, right, before we open presents, We'll be moved to do those things. But, but the problem with that is, is I'm moved by good Mexican food. You know what I mean? I'm moved by Hard Knocks pizza. I'm moved. But it's the fight to be consumed, not just moved. Consumed with it. And I was dating my wife. I was consumed with her. Consumed. I would leave work early. I would call in sick. I would stay up to, to all night talking to her on the phone, which wasn't fair because she didn't have to go until 3 p.m., by the way. I went in at 6 a.m., but, but I stayed up all night. It's totally consumed. It's different than being moved. Drawn instead of driven. I ripped that off from y'all's pastor, right? Drawn instead of driven. It's why, we, it's why we should be listening to Scripture. And I don't mean audible.com. I mean listening to Scripture rather than just reading Scripture. You follow me? You know what I mean there? Listening rather than reading? It's meditation. It's thought. It's gathering our family and considering one another. And considering all that's been done for us. It's counting our blessings. Right? It's the fight. But my heart is, I don't, I don't really go in that direction all the time. A lot of times I'm just okay with the nativity scene, Jesus. Just okay with it. I'm good. I'm moved by it. Don't you? Don't you? Do you feel drawn toward a deep, consumed worship, worship of Jesus? Or do you feel driven toward getting all the things done. You feel drawn and consumed by the manger? Or do you just feel driven to get those things done? Check the list off. Do you feel moved to make sure the stockings are stuffed? Or do you feel consumed by a manger and a cross? We say things like, let's make sure we read Luke 2 before we open presents, kids. Right? By the way, this was my family like two years ago. <laughs> right? Let's sit down and read Luke 2 right before we open presents. Why? Because, because we're Christians. And that's what good Christians do. You read Luke 2 before you open presents. That we don't feel bad about spending all that money, right? So we tell ourselves. The nativity scene, Jesus is where the pool is. Right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. The day, the day after Thanksgiving, the nativity scene comes out of the box. 
right? It comes out of the box and it's set up, right? Then it sits and collects dust, okay? And then New Year's Day gets put back in the box, right? Is that, the, is that close to how it goes down in y'all's cribs? Right? It's, it's, that's how it is. It comes out of the box. It, goes, it sits. It goes back in the box. Here's what's interesting to me is it's, sometimes it's like that for some of you and myself with our Bible reading. Right? With our Bible reading. We, it's New Year's, new me. We're fixing to hit the New Year's, the new year's shred, right? We're fixing to hit that. And it's going to be New Year, new me, reading plan. And then you'll start to skip a few days. And the Bible's going to sit there and start collecting dust. Right? And then it's going to be, well, I'll just start it next year. Let's put it back on the shelf. Listen, Jesus deserves more than that. He deserves more than us just walking by, right, passing by. He deserves our attention, our gaze, our consumed worship. You agree? You can say amen if you agree. Thank you. Not just the three weeks leading up to the wrong date we celebrate his birthday on. You know what I mean? He doesn't just deserve those three weeks. He deserves more than that. The major deserves more than that. This cosmic, militant, aggressive invasion deserves more than that. Yes, Jesus is the reason for the season. He is. But what about your attention? What's the reason for your attention? Do you know that? Can you answer that question? You say, well, Chris, I I am paying attention. Well, do you know why? What about your gaze? Are you moved or consumed? Drawn or driven? So once something has your attention, I'm going to go back to Matthew. Once something has your attention, what happens then, right? The pursuit begins. Right, the pursuit. Once the, once the aroma's in your nose, the pursuit, where's that coming from? Let's go find that out, right? The pursuit, the pursuit begins. So now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So there's that aroma, right? And they show up and they ask, and then, and then Herod says, he sent them, and Herod sends them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. So wise men show up, Herod sends them out to go find baby Jesus, or this king. We don't, we don't know at this point, but the king, right? And so who's pursuing? In that story, who's pursuing? Herod or the wise men? Wise men, right? Herod's just wanting to gain some knowledge. He doesn't want to pay attention. Whoa, 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 what's going on? I've got somebody I can send over there. Let's send, send them over there. Who, who's going the extra mile? Who? Who just wants to reap the rewards of someone else's pursuit? You see where I'm going with that? I read my Bible like Herod looks for Jesus. Right? In my own harem, surrounded by my own idols. That's how I read my Bible. I don't get, I don't get silent before the Lord. I should. I should. I should turn my phone off, but I don't. I look, I look for Jesus through the sweat of someone else's brow. Someone else's hard labor. Beth Moore devotionals are great. 
John Piper devotionals are awesome. But I find myself, it's just easier for me to look for Jesus through the sweat of someone else's brow. It's kind of like, like I like to work out, but I don't like to stretch. You know what I'm saying? No one shows up to the gym wanting a foam roll, <laughs> right? I'm like, when I go work out, they're like, hey, you need foam roll for 10 minutes. I'm like, foam roll? Whatever. And then I just lay over there and, you know, wiggle a little bit, look like I know what I'm doing, because if you've ever foam roll, it's, it's absolute hell, just so you know. But, but, but I pursue Jesus like I do my marriage bed. Can we just get to the good part? Can we just get to the good part? These magi didn't give up. They didn't turn around. They get to the city. He wasn't there. Herod asked them to go. They keep going. They don't, they don't turn around and throw their hands up and say, oh, well, we tried. Maybe next year. He's not here. Let's go back home. They pursued, they pursued this king like no other. They were in pursuit. They did not know this, but they were in pursuit of the kingdom of God, the pursuit of Christ. Isn't he worthy of that? Amen? He's worthy of our pursuit. Listen, this part's for free. I won't charge you for this, right? I'm only charging you for the other parts. You have nothing you will not ultimately lose. Right now. Right now. In your pockets, in your bank accounts, in your car console, you have nothing you will not lose. Trust funds and massive 401ks that you're going to pass on to your children. Listen, seriously, somebody in the fruit of your loins down the line is going to cash your stock option in and buy a couch from rooms to go. That's what's going to happen. Sorry. I have firsthand experience. Or my family does. My wife's, my wife's, father, my wife's father's family, right? Back in the 80s, they owned one of the largest hunting, leases, lodges, clubs, whatever you call it, in the state of Texas. Very profitable. Right? Very, very, very profitable. Thousands of acres. You, I mean, you could hunt anything on this, on this land. Anything. And all that is left of that estate, listen to me, is a dozen whiskey glasses with a logo etched on them. That's it. That's it. My family owns a bunch of mineral rights. You're like, oh, no. The last check I got was for $1.18. Right? Why? Why, why so little? Why do I own like a one-fifth of 2,476%? Why? Because what great-grandpa worked and built, right, and obtained was broken up and sold over years amongst the, the tree. <laughs> the family tree. It, it's, it's split up. It's gone. Someone's going to screw it up. Someone's going to spend your dollar, your earning and saving today for their future on an iPhone 22 RXT 1700. That's what's going to happen. The legacy you're building for your children, when, when, that, when that is done, it's going to turn into a garage sale. It's going to turn into a garage sale, right? And then when it doesn't get sold at the garage sale, it's either going to CARM or a landfill. I just took five loads last week. CARM and a landfill. Because you can't sell it or give it away in front of your house. Think about that. 
Think about that. Merry Christmas. <laughs> That's where it's all headed. Merry Christmas. I want, to leave you, I, want, I want you to leave here challenged today. You ready? Get your pens out. Here's my challenge for you, okay? And I'm going to check back with you next week. Here's the challenge. Start this year keeping a record of what you've purchased, wrapped, and given. Then how much of that is broken, given, or sold away in the next five years? And then let's talk about it. Right? My kids have nothing they had five years ago. I don't even have the same furniture for some reason. We keep buying it and then giving it away. I don't know what she's doing. Like, like, what are we doing? Why do we keep? It's maddening. But here's the, here's the gospel, though. Christ isn't. Right? Christ, Christ shouldn't. Everything is going in a box, but is he going in a box? The lights are coming off the house. The trees coming down. The, the presence will be gone, but is he gone? The carols will go away. But is he going away? Let me tell you a secret. He is the only one. He is the only thing, regardless of circumstance, regardless of death. He doesn't move. He's unending. He's unchanging. He doesn't fit in your box. He doesn't fit in that manger scene. He doesn't fit on your tree. He doesn't fit under the tree. He doesn't fit in your attic or your storage facility or your space. He doesn't fit there. His light will never turn off. It never ceases to shine. He's, he's more timeless than Christmas carols. He's more timeless than Silent Night. He doesn't fit inside Silent Night. He's the only thing worth pursuing. The only thing. Everything else on earth is meant to make you yearn for him, praise him, pursue him. Everything. Which is why, this is the broken nature inside, which is why if you think your marriage is going to satisfy you, your marriage is a wreck. I know this because I talk to some of you, well, my people now, but your, your marriage is a wreck. It's because you're probably looking for, that, looking for that other person to satisfy you. It doesn't work like that. You think your work is going to bring you satisfaction, yet you're restless. You think your kids will satisfy you, yet your relationship with them is strained. Why is it strained? It's because they're not satisfying you. You think, and I think, I think here, people's approval of me, your approval of me is going to satisfy me. You know what that does to me? It paralyzes it paralyzes me, and I become a slave to you in circumstance. That was my last week. After I stood up here and did what I did in my church, I went home on Monday and was paralyzed on the couch. Three hours. Why did I say that? Why did that person look at me like that? What was going on there? What about that conversation? paralyzed by approval, the need for approval from others, wanting to be satisfied in that, and a slave to people and circumstance. I wasted eight hours of my week last week paralyzed by approval. 
If you think you can squeeze a little tighter, they will eventually conform and satisfy you, only to become lonely and desperate. Is this some of you? All of you? One of you? The only pursuit that's, that's eternal, the only pursuit that's worth pursuing is of him. The only one that pays in, in aces is him. It's an awesome investment. And I'm not, I'm not dogging or throwing rocks at your savings account. I'm just, I'm just saying that Jesus is better. So don't be mad when you leave here and think, well, that jerk. Listen, I'm just saying Jesus is better. I'm happy for you if you have an awesome savings account. But Jesus is better. So we have paying attention and then, and then pursuing. But, but once we start pursuing, what, what fuels that pursuit? What do we need? We need faith, right? Pursuing takes faith. It also takes putting yourself out there like, like these wise men. So go back to verse 2. Matthew 2 saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship. So they're, they're putting themselves out there. They're going to a town that they're not familiar with. Asking the dude that runs the town where the king is. Think about that for a second. All right? They, they, they know. They, they have this idea that, that, that the king is coming, right? And they, they, they gather up their gifts. They put on their Sunday best. They, they, they jump on these camels and they, they go, right, looking at this star. All out of faith. All out of faith. Are they crazy? You read that and think, man, you guys are nuts. I mean, are we? I mean, I'm ultimately asking you to do the same thing. Well, I'm not, but God is asking you to do the same thing, to trust and believe, to have faith. Are they crazy? People will say you're crazy. People told me I was crazy for trying to plant a church. People told me I was crazy for, move, for moving 1,200 miles away to come be a part of this church. Are we crazy? I think sometimes I'm crazy. But the wise men, listen, faith brought them to Jerusalem and faith brought them to Bethlehem. It was faith. Then they get there, right? They show up. They find the baby. We read in the story. They find the baby and, and it's all wrong. They show up in this house, right? They're looking for a king. They're like, hey, we're here for the king. Like, well, there's just this baby that's been born. There's a little bit of confusion. They got these lavish gifts. This is, this is why we struggle with this story. It's why we struggle with Christmas, because you and I are looking back through the resurrection. Right? We know Jesus has been crucified. They didn't. They're showing up without the end of the story. Or not the end of the story, but that part of the story. Right, they're showing up and they're, they're look, so we, we read this story and we're looking back through the cross, right, through the, the life of Jesus and then onto the manger and, 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 and that's not how they're seeing it. Remember, that's not how they're seeing it. They're seeing, they're seeing King Jesus for the first time as a six pound, eight ounce baby. By the way, that's conjecture. I don't know if he was six pounds, eight ounces, so don't hold me to that, but I'm just saying that's what they're seeing. Is this baby for the first time? I mean, think about that. Who in here has seen a baby being born? Right? Okay, they probably showed up when there was, there's still the white stuff was all over them. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's how they're seeing Jesus. 
They've come all this way with these crazy gifts to, to give them to what they believe is the king of all things. And it's a baby. It's a baby. Imagine if I ask you to bring your best. Imagine if I ask you to, to bring your most valuable possessions, your cash, right? Whatever you hold dear right now that you're like, no way would I ever give this away, right? Your best, your most sacred treasures. I ask you to bring those. And we're going to head to Broadway Street. And we're going to walk up to random, unassuming, homeless people and hand it to them. Could you do that? Could you do that without asking a couple questions? <laughs> without considering for a second. Wait, well, what, what's, the pro what's the plan? Can you tell me, tell me again. What are we doing? I know a few of you would be raising your hands, right? A couple of y'all are super excited about this. A few of you are like, wait, um, question. You know what I'm saying? You don't know what I'm talking about. That's a big ask. Think about it. I mean, but, but that's, that's ultimately what these guys did. They, we, see, we read the story and we know that because we know how the story plays out. We know the end. We think, sure, well, I mean, it, it's Jesus, bro. They didn't know that. We know that, though. We, and we're like, hold on, though. It was step by step, acts of faith. Step by step, acts of faith. That drove them there, right? It was step by step by step acts of faith. We, I just can't read the story without thinking that they ask a couple questions, right? But, but it was faith that was getting them there. This week in community group, I was, I was telling my, my group, I said, I was reading this passage we're going to get to in a second. Um, and, and, and I was like, guys, listen, I got to be honest. Like 75% of the time, I'm totally cool. Like I'm fine. Like, God's got it. He's going to take care of it. It's going to be okay. Everything's fine. Everything will work out. People look at me nuts. Chris, are you serious? Yeah, I'm serious, right? But then I've got that 25%. That's like, well, I mean, if I just did this, this would totally work out. And then my wife's like, should we pray about it? I'm like, nah. If we just did this, you know what I mean? Got that 25% that you're kind of doubting, you're not really, not really sure about. Maybe it's, maybe it's 90-10 for you. Maybe it's 80-20. I don't know. For me, it's 75-25, right? Maybe y'all just, y'all probably better Christians than me. But listen, it, the, the thing is, I'm reading this story in Matthew 17 in our CBR reading this week. And, and it's a story about this, this, this dad that brings this, that brings this demon-possessed, or he, he comes to Jesus with his demon-possessed son, Right, And these demons, they're manifesting by throwing this kid into the fire and into the water. You can read it later. I'm not going to read the whole story to you, but that, that's what's going on. There's this crazy moment where this dad comes pleading to Jesus for the life of his son. He even says, like, your disciples tried to heal him and they couldn't. Y'all remember the story? Right? You a little faith, right? Y'all remember the story, right? So, so this happens. He brings this, this boy, this father comes, and this demon-possessed boy, and he's, he, this, this demon's trying to kill this kid. So I'm reading that, and then a light switch, go, or a light bulb goes off, and I'm thinking, I, I start reading it through the lens and listening to it through the lens of, wait a minute, I have a kid. I have a kid. That changes the whole story. That's the difference between listening and reading. Right now, it's got my attention. That story's got my attention because I got two kids. And I could not imagine if that was the case. 
What would I be doing in that moment? How would I be pleading? Right? Would I be bringing my best? Would I be laying it down? Would I be on my knees pleading to save my child? Would you? Your spouse? Your loved ones? You would be pleading. You start reading the Bible like that, you'll stop reading and start listening. But we see him, he brings his son, and and, and then if you flip over to Mark 9, 24, you'll see Mark 9, 24, right? He he shows up, and and Jesus, Jesus says, you got it up there, uh, Sean. He says, if you believe, all things are possible. The father says, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. Mark 9, 24. This is the verse that should belong on bumper stickers and T-shirts. This is the verse. I believe, help my unbelief. I don't know of another verse that's more dialed into the reality of being a Christian than that verse right there. I believe. Help my unbelief. It's you pleading. It's it's me pleading. That's this father pleading. I, I know you're good. I know you love me. I know you want what's best for me. I know you're looking out for me. I know you were sent to die for me. I believe. But help my unbelief. Because I still struggle. I still fight. I still wrestle. I don't think I'm going to get it done. I don't, I don't feel accomplished. I don't feel approved of. I don't feel in control. I don't feel that I have the power. It's uncomfortable. This, this silent night, this holy night, this manger, this incarnation anchors us. This should anchor you. When, you're, when you need help with your unbelief, the manger can anchor you. If this is the year that, that you're just trying to keep the lights on, you're just trying to keep the lights on, the heat on, the gas on, gas in the car, he'll anchor your soul. If this is your first Christmas without a loved one, if you experience loss, this is the first year, you won't, you won't have that person with you. He'll, he'll anchor your soul as you trust him. He cannot betray you. He will not leave you. He has not left you. If this is the Christmas where your estranged family has come back together and you're, you're super nervous because it's been hell for the past five years, but they're coming back together and y'all are going to celebrate Christmas together, heck or high water, right? He will anchor your soul. If this is a Christmas you can't be with your family, he'll anchor your soul. He's given you a church. He's given you a family. These are your mothers. These are your brothers. This is your family. The manger makes sense regardless of your circumstance. The manger makes total sense. Regardless of your circumstance, regardless of what season we are in, the manger makes sense. He's worthy of our faith. He's worthy of our attention. He's worthy of our pursuit. I want our mantra to always be, I believe, help my unbelief. 
closing this thing out, landing the plane here. So we're a couple weeks out from Christmas, right? Got some time. Then New Year's is going to come, right? You're going to do the New Year's resolution thing, right? You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna start packing up the stuff. You're going to start putting, putting stuff away. Some of you are going to leave the lights on until spring break. It's okay. I understand. Things are going to happen like that. You're going to pack all this stuff up. You're going to take the nativity down. You're going to put it in a box and stick it in the attic. Just remember that, that, that everything we're covering this Advent season, everything we've gone over the past few weeks, it, it's not going anywhere. That part of it isn't going anywhere. You cannot contain the immensity of God. You can't put God in a box in an attic. You can't do that. Why can't you do that? The Bible tells us that the heavens can't contain the glory of God. So how can your daggum attic? You know what I'm saying? That's, that's just mind-blowing to me. Like, if the heavens can't contain the glory of God, why do we think a, a present or a, or a three-by-three nativity scene can? The universe is expanding continuously. This has been proven by science. The heavens, the universe cannot contain the glory of God, but yet somehow we've convinced ourselves that the cardboard box can and our playlist can. It's unstoppable. Week one, we, we talked about God with us. You remember that? Oh, come Emmanuel, that was the first week, right? God, God with us. Hear me. For some of you, that's just an idea. Some of you heard me preach that, but it's, to you it's just an idea. It's a really nice thought. God with me. But this next year, some of you are going to understand that God is with you. Because he's going to bring you through something where that's the only thing you're going to have to rely on. is him. Is him. Last week, Luke, Luke told us we're either driven or drawn to God. We're driven or drawn. And some of you are like, yeah, I know. I heard him. Driven or drawn. This, this next year, you're going to find out how driven and drawn you really are. Really. This week, we, we discovered and, 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 and read and considered that he is worthy of our attention, of our affections, of our pursuit. Some of you are yawning, saying, I know, I know, I know. But this next year, you may get to realize your need to see the cross and the manger together for the first time. Together for the first time. I pray we pay attention. I pray we pursue. I pray we, I pray we ask him to help our unbelief as we believe. I pray we humble ourselves to do that, right? Don't, be, don't, don't read that verse prideful and arrogant. Don't do what I've done. I got believe. I believe. No, no, I believe. Help my unbelief. So understand this as I close and we'll pray. Our worship team could come up. The coming, the coming of Jesus wasn't just some sweet Six-pound, eight-ounce baby born on a silent, holy night. It was not just that. It was the establishment of God's kingdom on earth. 
It was the establishment of his kingdom. It was the most aggressive action we've seen. It was, it was, it was him coming to earth to establish his kingdom and our waiting to the second advent, the second advent, the second coming of Jesus when he returns, not as a baby, but as a groom on a horse, a king, an eternal king. That's what we're celebrating today. That's what, this, that's what today's about. Amen? All right, let's stand and pray. God, you are so worthy of our worship. God, you're so worthy of our, of our glory and honor. God, we need to give glory and honor and praise to you, God. We need to give that to you, God. We need to, I pray that we humble ourselves, God, and, 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 and hit our knees in this season and, and remember not just the cross, but the manger. I pray that our view and our attention we put on the manger draws us to the cross, that we are consumed by the cross. We're consumed by the manger. As we sing Christmas carols, as we, as we sing O Holy Night, as we sing Silent Night, O Come Emmanuel, we're, we're consumed by the manger and the cross, that we don't divorce those two in our hearts, that we see those moments as one. Your active, redemptive, reconciling love for us. I pray that we don't forget that today. And I pray we don't forget it the other 364 days after today. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. But we thank you for your son, Jesus, sending him in as a, as a six-pound, eight-ounce baby. We thank you for that. In this moment right now, we want to celebrate your son, Jesus, the coming of your son, Jesus, the first coming. God, and then his, his death on the cross as we take communion together, as we repent and confess our sins at the table we don't belong at, God, I pray that we would share a family meal this morning that would be like none other. And we would remember your son Jesus and that we would celebrate through song, God, as we, as we celebrate his second coming as the king of this universe, God, as the king eternal. We love you, God, and we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.